y'all. Welcome to the first chapter of Art in Motion, taking aim at only in San Jose. This chapter is taking place during the San Jose Constitutional Convention as residents take aim at amending their city constitution. I'm your host, Juliana Rico. My pronouns are she, her, and I was born and raised in San Jose. And that's why this first chapter is so important to me. I am a third generation Latinx American, um, and I was raised in San Jose, went to the public schools on the east side, had my experiences um, taking my cholad portraits at East Ridge Mall, <laughs> and um, then, you know, going and hitting up like the best fuss spots. San Jose is such a diverse and beautiful community when it comes to how many cultures are present. And that's one of the things that we're really hoping to celebrate this season as we interview different artists and creatives who all have ties to San Jose, California. I myself am an artist and arts educator. I have been a photography professor at several colleges for the past seven or eight years now. Um, But I've been teaching um, and it's something that I absolutely love being able to be in the classroom and help students um, on that kind of ground level with their ideas and especially for myself as a first generation college student, being able to work with students um, who have not had experience within the college system is something that I absolutely love doing. And so for me, this podcast was a natural next step of having and continuing resources, but this time outside of that academic and educational system. One of the things that I noticed as I was going through school, um, studying arts and working within the educational fields, is that I didn't really see very many examples of people who looked like me or faced similar experiences that I did um, as a queer BIPOC person going through these institutional spaces. And so with this podcast, I am really hoping that we're able to create this space that can spotlight contemporary BIPOC artists and creatives to share their journey and see what experiences they have faced and how they have navigated these um, different areas in their own lives. I think that that lived experience is so important um, and we don't really get to talk about it that much. We always talk about that end goal and process. So with this podcast, I really hope that it acts as a platform that can be a resource for other creatives up and coming and just those who are interested in creation and making and this season in particular, using their art to push and make change um, within our various systems that we are all taking a part of. So with that, I am so excited to introduce our very first guest, um, Alina Yen. Alina is an entrepreneur, a civic participation activist, strategist, system designer, and recovering artist. We'll have to get into that one. But I have known and had the pleasure of working with Alina since we were in high school, little babies. 
And it is so exciting to work with her in this capacity and be interviewing her because she was such an inspiration to me in starting this podcast. So I would definitely uh, not have been here, or at least it would be much later if it weren't for Alina. And I'm so excited to be getting to talk to her about all of the things that she is working on as our very first guest for the podcast. Howdy, y'all. It's Alina. (laughs) Welcome, Alina. I'm so excited to have you here. This is a podcast, so you can't see us. (laughs) This might be a little different for me. I am typically within a space that is very visual and seeing in the classroom. So um, I'm going to really be working on my descriptive vocabulary for the podcast. Let me first start out with our opening questions to get to know a little bit about you. Um, And one of those first questions is, what is your preferred name and pronouns? Uh, I prefer to be called Alina. And um, I help people out with, uh, you know, it's like El Dorado, but Elena, because I get Elena a lot. Pretty name, but not my name. And my pronouns right now (laughs) are she, they. And uh, I don't have a strong preference over which one, but it is she, they. All right. Well, thank you for letting me know that. And so that way I can make sure that I am addressing you by your preferred pronouns as we talked about you and your journey within this space. How do you culturally identify? That's a complicated question. I know. <laughs> I ask the tough ones here. <laughs> um well, my, my parents are Cambodian and Chinese, and uh, they came here from Cambodia during uh, the aftermath of the Vietnam War and the Khmer Rouge, and so they came here as refugees. And uh, so I identify, but I was born and raised in San Jose, California, so I identify as Cambodian Chinese American. Um, and then there's some more nuances to my ethnicity, but we don't really have to get into that. But for now, um, I do identify as Cambodian Chinese. I grew up speaking Khmer, which is the language of Cambodia. And I learned English as my second language and became proficient to the standard of the, you know, the school by the third grade, a little bit late. I was almost held back, but I toughed it out. (laughs) Though when I get nervous and things like that, my, uh, my language uh, challenges do come come back to the surface, and but that's that's just a thing now. So it's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting that you say that about third grade. I don't know if this is something that I've ever told you, um, but I have a similar instance of that as well. But in kindergarten, mm-hmm. so when I was in kindergarten. Um, I had an issue where instead of pronouncing my L's as L, I would pronounce them as a Y. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As we know, well, one, I think it's just common because I was in kindergarten. Kindergartners don't speak properly (laughs) the majority of the time. No, they got their own language. (laughs) Um, But also it was this issue where I think it was my teacher feeling that me as a Latinx uh, little kid was somehow t- holding on to the Spanish language and not learning English. And so in kindergarten, they sent this letter home to my parents 
saying, oh, we think that your daughter, she has a problem and she might need to go into the special courses. Thankfully, my parents were knowledgeable enough that they knew that they could not just go along with this and that had they that ed- my education and where I would be now would likely be completely different because it would have gotten me onto that track within education. And unfortunately, um, education is not equal for everyone, no matter where they're starting from. And so they really fought for me to stay and be within the quote unquote regular kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have to face that hardship of going to remedial learning or special education programming. I was in kindergarten, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of shame around uh, language barriers and language access. And um, growing up, I don't think I was as pervious to it. I kind of just, you know, it's presented to you as this thing that you need to do. And so you just do it. And I think nowadays uh, that process of language assimilation is approached much more sensitive or sensitively. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a lot more care in um, providing education and access to, uh, to language learning. And so happy we're not in that place anymore. But I hear you. That's tough. And it's just also very... Uh, can be trauma-inducing, shame-inducing, and it's really not good for the early development years of like a child who's just learning to speak. And also everybody has a different kind of learning pace. And I think if we had more variety in accepting everybody's pace, we would be, you know, in a much more inclusive, you know, environment in society as a whole. Yeah. And not just that, but can we just mention for a moment that those children who are bilingual, who do speak multiple languages are actually so much smarter. (laughs) And I wish I could jump in on this, (laughs) but I'm not, you know, like fluent, fluent within Spanish, but yeah, knowing multiple languages and being able to communicate in more than one is some, like something that is so special that I think, as you mentioned, just gets stigmatized. And that is Mm -hmm. ridiculous to me that, you know, this person can speak and actually communicate in two different languages. Most of us have a hard time with one. Yeah. But somehow that's seen as shame if it's um, from the perspective of not speaking English as the predominant language. Yeah. And also, I think being bilingual, trilingual, or, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, what it allows that person to do and become is a much more empathetic person because language isn't just language, it's also cultural ideology. And um, and being able to understand multiple perspectives and cultural perspectives really just makes for, I think, a more thoughtful individual that's able to relate to a variety and diversity of opinion. And it's a it's a good thing. It's to to be well versed. It's like you know, any other skill. the The more diverse you are, the more adaptable you are. Absolutely. And I I think that you mentioned this as you were talking um, about growing up and being raised within San Jose. So I'm I'm curious to know um, 
what are your connections with the city now and how do you feel like San Jose is a part of who you are? Um, I think San Jose uh, is a very special place. And um, unlike a lot of my friends that I went to school, you included, <laughs> I never <laughs> left. <laughs> Not for really that long. I, I, for a period, did move to uh, East Bay um, when I worked in construction for a little bit. Well, it was like five years. But I did come back, and I've been here ever since. And to me, this land, you know, Ohlone land, is a very magical place. And, you know, dating back um, to, you know, primordial history of the land here, I think that there is uh, a lot of magic and a lot of things have come out of here. And I feel like, you know, the Internet was born here, the floppy disk and (laughs) all of these, you know, tech companies in the Bay Area. And so I kind of want to expand people's concept of like San Jose if we kind of approach it from an indigenous perspective it's the land area and it was much larger than the borders of San Jose and this area you know it's also known as the Valley of Hearts Delight it was very agriculturally rich and now it's like you know very technologically rich diversity or diversity and culturally and um, a lot of really amazing things that have really reshaped the world as we know it started in the Bay Area. And um, when I think about that, I get inspired that, you know, maybe uh, civic engagement and civic participation will also be started and reshaped by this area. And that really, you know, helps to kind of motivate me um, to work for my community. And as I said, you know, my mom um, had me here. So I was born and raised here. Um, I was, uh, we lived in Story and King for the first, you know, couple years up until I think I was like eight. And um, as a child, I, you know, just saw a very vibrant community. I love Selena. I took like folklorical dances, uh, dance classes, and was really immersed in all of the cultures here that definitely led to some confusion as I was growing up when people were like, what are you? And I was like, "Uh, I don't really know. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, San Jose is definitely, you know, it's my hometown and I love this place and a lot has changed. And, you know, as life goes, like it'll continue to change. But it's definitely a place that I identify with. And I think it's very unique. And I'm really happy to see more artists um, spotlight their experiences here and like share their stories here because having been born and raised here, I really resonate with that. Unlike, you know, the mainstream stuff that I kind of grew up with that I did not identify with, but also didn't really have any other choice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. It's, um, I think we, not to say we are the generation, but that is something that was very much a part of our generation growing up was that kind of, but what are you mm-hmm. kind of question. Thankfully now, I, th- I think people, <laughs> most people are, yeah. <laughs> most people know that that isn't really like the kind of question you should be asking people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that that was a question that, you know, I got growing up that you got growing up. Um, but yeah, the media that we saw, the media that was represented was very Western European, um, 
in content and who was the characters that they were prescribing and the stories that they were writing. And if we were able to see any parts of our identity reflected within broader media, it was typically like negative stereotypes on the news or, you know, the very stereotypical Asian or Mexican character um, based off of stereotype as the sidekick in a movie or the villain. Yeah. Best supporting actress. <laughs> yeah. If if we're, if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're really invested within the San Jose community. And I know that one of the projects that you have been working on for a little while is only in San Jose. Can you tell me more about that project? Yeah. So the only in San Jose podcast started uh, June of last year. And that project was a a Knight Foundation grant that I received in 2019. And pause. Yeah. (laughs) We got to give some applause for BIPOCs getting big old grants over here. It was a humble grant, but yes. (laughs) But it came with travel. I got to go to Toronto. Um, It was hosted by 880 Cities. And um, I spent a week or five days. I can't remember how long it was because COVID times. And um, But yeah, that was... uh, 2019 was a big travel year for me for work. And um, I got to go to a lot of amazing places and participate in a lot of amazing programs. And so I'm very thankful that I kind of ended on that with what we all faced in 2020. Um, But yeah, so Only in San Jose is a podcast that is working to demystify and democratize the process of civic engagement in the city of San Jose. And I chose to cover civic participation, civic engagement in the process because um, education-wise, you know, our American government education stopped at the state level, and we were never taught anything about city and county politics and um, government. And there is a lot of, I think, uh, power and agency that we have that not a lot of people realize that we have on a local level. And so season one is covering commissions, and for those of you who don't know, commissions are um, made up of everyday San Jose residents. They are appointed by their district council member. And so we have 10 um, district council members and we have a mayor. So 11 legislative bodies. And they all get, you know, their draft picks of residents to uh, their many commissions. We have like over 30 commissions. I am uh, a commissioner on the Council Appointment Advisory Commission, which was formerly known as Project Diversity Committee. It was Project Diversity? In 1991, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And they changed the name, and I wasn't down with that, but also before my time. (laughs) Because now everybody's like, why do I want to sign up for that commission? It sounds so boring. (laughs) Um, And commissions are... It's where everyday residents, regardless of your experience, some of them do have some special requirements, but majority of them is just you have to live in San Jose, where residents come together with city staff and legislators and, you know, they work on very specific problems, for example, like the Arts Commission, so arts program, mural programs, uh, arts education programs, or like 
parks and recreation where, you know, what kind of parks do we want to design? What do we want our public spaces to look like? There's neighborhood commissions um, and there's the historic landmarks commission, which is very important because that, you know, determines our culture and what the rest of the world and tourists and whatnot recognize the city of San Jose for. And I think it's really amazing that it is made up of, you know, regular residents like me and you. And um, it's also, you know, on a city level, there is no party politics. It's uh, barred from that. Though, you know, some some of the uh, elected representatives do identify, but it's meant to be a place of neutrality. Well, that's so interesting that you're mentioning that within the commissions there is neutrality Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like right now especially we're in 2021 it feels like nothing is neutral (laughs) Um, pick a side (laughs) yeah in anything Um, especially as we just got over the last election cycle Mm -hmm. um, which was very polarizing. Yes. And so I I think it's so interesting how you're saying that, oh, the city charter is actually this neutral space. And um, thank you for going in and clarifying on some of those terminology um, within our own podcast. Uh, that is one of the goals is to get artists more involved within these things. So hearing that there is things like an arts commission or the historical sites commission, um, things that we as artists and creatives think about, but not necessarily know like, oh, well, how do I make change within this field that I'm interested in? Mm-hmm. So knowing that, oh, there, my government is actually trying to do something, mm-hmm. some more effectively than others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but maybe for the people who are listening um, out on the waves, that's a good thing to know. Like, hey, my city, whether I'm in San Jose or somewhere else, has these commissions and me as a regular resident can be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. There is um, it's a very special place where, you know, you can take the party politics out and you just focus on serving your community. And um, what's really special is that there's only one or two commissions, I believe, that require you to be a U.S. citizen. So it's really open. And, you know, you are a part of a semi-judicial, so legislative body. You know, you can help craft policy and ordinances and work directly with city staff and your elected, you know, um, council members to create change. And it is a very open process. And City of San Jose right now has, like, I think 40 vacancies, which is wild to me. And, um, yeah, so part of the the podcast is to provide this educational, you know, this civic education in hopes that we inspire more people to apply and really, you know, take control of their agency and autonomy to create the community that they wish to see. And um, one of uh, our goals, too, is to start strategizing around how we can start closing the age gap in civic participation And, you know, 18 and older, you can apply. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's kind of something that's missing from our uh, local governance institution right now is, you know, multi-generational representation. And, you know, with climate change and all of the nuances of, you know, what's going to happen in the future, especially, you know, 
after, well, you know, we're still in COVID times, but Mm -hmm. especially after 2020, you know, we need, I, I genuinely believe we need the voices of youth to be at the table and we need to be setting them up for success. And, you know, as part of my goal is like, you know, civic participation should be a part of life as much as Netflix and chill. <laughs> and, you know, I want us to be the new like dating thing. Like, oh, what commission are you on? None. No, thank you. No, thank you. Next. You're not civically participating. No. <laughs> that reminds me of this John Waters quote. Um where he says, oh, if you go home to sleep with someone and they have no books or bookshelves, you should turn around and leave. (laughs) Well, yeah. You should have some standards, yes. So maybe civic participation could be one of those standards in the future. Yeah, I know. But also we can't be ableist because some people can't read. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. You know, they're they're not able to read or, you know, focus and, you know, there's different learning Yes, and um, on on the not able to read. Let's let's also say like not able to read English. Yes, and so that's why we also need to be presenting these materials in multiple languages, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There's many different. I mean, I've been learning a lot more about that, and and part of it is definitely because I was also a fellow with the uh, the School of Arts and Culture in the Mexican Heritage Plaza here in San Jose. Uh, the multi. Ultra, uh, Multicultural Arts Leadership Institute, MOLLE for short. And I had some amazing uh, fellows that were all about, you know, disability justice. And I learned a lot from them on disability justice and ableism. And so now, you know, I catch myself. And it's not a bad thing. It's just things that we weren't taught, that we're not aware of. And so we just have to be, uh, what's that word? Vigilant about, you know, building these new habits. Absolutely. I I think that that is a great place to just mention in terms of our podcast here. Um, we are trying our best to be as diligent as possible and as inclusive as possible. Um, but I, I will say, you know, there will likely be times where I might slip up and say the wrong politically incorrect thing, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm not thinking of a marginalized community like ableism. But I I wanted to make a note that we, I, am going to be doing my best. And if there is an issue, please let me know, because generally, genuinely, I do want to always be in the process of bettering myself. Yes. Um, calling each other in. Yes. It's, it's that matter of calling each other in and saying, oh, well, actually, this is not really appropriate or sensitive because of this reason. And we were raised in such a culture that really isolated so many people <laughs> that um, it is a unlearning. Mm-hmm. So thank you for pointing that out. And I do hope that with our, our viewers, like if you ever feel like, oh, I don't like that they said this, <laughs> um, please call, call us in. Let us know. So that way I can expand my my knowledge and education based on whatever that topic might be yeah and i think it's uh you know on the topic that we were on earlier like polarity we need to make room for everybody to fail and learn and um just because we're brown doesn't mean like we're not going to make mistakes when it comes to anti-racism and all those things as well and so absolutely uh, if we're all living we're all you know in this system together and 
to think that we also don't carry the biases and some, you know, minutia or like microaggression. It's like it's naive. Like we all carry it. And it is, you know, uh, a lifetime's work to uh, decolonize and to unlearn the things that are no longer appropriate for, you know, this uh, our society that we're trying to build, which is something that's more inclusive and accepting of all perspectives and diversities. Absolutely. Um, now, with talking about only in San Jose, you have such passion for local government. And I'm wondering, like, what was your journey of finding that? How did you find this area of passion and interest that you wanted to make your own mark in? Um, I'm an enabler. And so <laughs> I'm here to enable everybody else <laughs> to be their, their best selves, <laughs> their best activists. Um, I, you know, I started with wanting to get in, more involved with my neighborhood um, throughout my younger years, um, ever since as long as I can remember, like 13 or something. I was always tutoring. I was always volunteering and running donation drives and doing all sorts of like water charity projects. And, you know, I went from giving in donation philanthropy um, at that stage of my life into, okay, but what's causing all these problems? And um, when I started looking into my neighborhood and, you know, so I live in District 6. Uh, I born and raised in D4, but now in D6. And um, as many of you know, uh, or not know, Google is um, building a big campus here. And so I kind of just wanted to see what this project was about. And in doing that, I um, I just kept asking why. That's my favorite question is why. I was really annoying as a kid, but why? <laughs> <laughs> Same. And, you know, I was like, but how did we get here? And I was like, oh, we got here because of the planning commission. You know, this decision was made about the planning commission like decades ago. The same, you know, we're in this moment again with what's happening at the flea market. And, you know, that land that's been here for decades is being redeveloped. And that decision was made 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, I believe. And so I found out about commissions. I was like, well, what are these? And then I found out about all these commissions. And then I just kept going deeper and deeper. <laughs> and eventually I landed in terms and conditions oh <laughs> and <my> the gosh. <laughs> law. <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to the law, we elect, you know, our legislators and they're supposed to do it for us. And that knowledge is very inaccessible. Some of it's kind of coveted. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's where the rubber meets the road is in legislation, every single line item. At the end of the day, change doesn't happen unless it's written down and everybody agrees on it. And in that way, you know, I want to provide, to begin to provide that education so that more people can be a part of writing legislation. I mean, no one's going to become a lawyer after my podcast, though maybe some people will like major in law or something like that. But they will have the tools to more um, to to better participate, to more meaningfully participate in the legislative process, because I think that's that's where um, that's where the where you put your money in your mouth. Is that the saying? I'm really bad with sayings. <laughs> put, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Yes. 
civic participation to me is about affecting the law. And in order to affect the law in a more diverse and inclusive way, we need more people to be able to be a part of that process. But if you're not provided the education, it's kind of like, you know, you don't speak English. Here you are. What do you want? It's not really a fair process. And so um, that's why we're really focused on democratizing it. And I think I'm, I'm really good with process. I really love it. And um, this is a structured system that I am comfortable in. And um, I've been told I have a way of explaining things. And so I thought, okay, why not? I'll just start a podcast. It was very nerve-wracking. And also it was like that summer was very intense. And, um, you know, it actually galvanized me more, you know, during the Black Lives Matter protests. You know, we had the civil rights movement in the mid-60s mid and law was passed, but we're still, you know, at a point, place and time where there is still equity that needs to be redistributed. And, you know, we still need to fight for more inclusion. And part of that, the way I see it, is that the people who implemented that legislation weren't representatives of the people who were asking for it. And we need to go, I feel we need to go one step further and we need to be part of that legislative process. And we can't trust, um, you know, government as it is to be able to do that for us. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like don't trust your government at all. I mean that in a way as if our legislators do not have the lived experiences of the repercussions of the laws that they wrote, they're not going to be able to really identify all the inequities and the things that should and need to change and why they should change. And so we need to have those lived experiences at the table, pen in hand, and we need to take all these perspectives seriously. And in a process to get people to the table, we have to provide like basic civics education that we were never given. But you're absolutely right. The, the majority of what I know, um, shamefully, uh, comes from that high school education. And I especially I studied something outside of um, politics or um I, I don't know what other sociology uh, I, I studied a very specific niche. So I was very um, involved within the arts and kind of like, oh, that is another language. That is another universe. I don't <laughs> need to know anything about that. Um, but as I have been getting older, I recognize, as, as you've mentioned, that it's so important if we actually want change. And I want change in so many levels. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to get myself to get here. So that's why we're all here to learn. And that brings me to um, this workshop that you've been putting on and that I have been attending and learning so much from um, the Constitutional Convention, the master, the civics masterclass. And I would love it if you can talk more about that and how it came to be and what it's, is happening with that. Yeah, so the San Jose Constitutional Convention happened uh, because uh, in also the summer of 2020, the mayor and council voted to create a charter review commission. And so your charter 
A city charter is essentially, you know, your city constitution. It's right below the California Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. And so this document, it's, you know, the legal founding document that all policy and ordinance kind of have to follow up with. It's like the, the head boss. And the way that we can think about a charter, a city charter, is kind of like, it's almost like a, if you think of employment contracts that you sign, it's a contractual agreement with your with between the people of San Jose and the city staff and city representatives, city elect, on how we want to have our services rendered and what powers do they have and you know what kind of community do we want, what does accountability look like. And so that's an agreement between the people and our local governing body. So it's a really important document. And it was also... So, so it's kind of like the people saying, hey, this is what I want out of my city. Mm-hmm. And it's your job as the people in power to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, it is. it was also written in 1965. So right in the middle of the ci- a civil rights movement. And it was written by 13 private landowners. Ooh. I know. Um, and... A lot has changed since 1965. A lot has changed since 2020. Yes. And it makes sense to me that a lot should be changed within our city charter. Not all at once because that's scary. And Mm -hmm. I think that we need to take a phased approach to it. And so our city charter can be changed um, always by the vote of the people. So whatever amendments are put forth to council, they have to vote on whether they approve or don't approve, and then they have to put it on the ballot. So this will, if all goes to plan timeline-wise, this will go on the gubernatorial um, election in 2022 or the next presidential election in 2024. We don't know yet. And um, usually charter amendments can be done by like a majority council vote or um, through a certain percentage of signatures collected on a specific policy or amendment, or through a charter review commission, which I believe is the most democratic process because it's right now it's 23 San Jose residents. Well, there's one vacancy, District 10, youth do apply. (laughs) (laughs) We need you. Yes, there's no youth on there. You guys have to be on there, you guys and girls and non-binary. All the peoples yes. <laughs> should be represented. And um, so they're tasked with studying certain facets like our governance structure. Um, people are talking about police accountability. And I'm trying to talk about climate crisis, but that's not on the docket just yet. But I need youth to show up <laughs> so that, that we can put that on the docket. And um, as I was going through and listening and watching the meetings, which started on January 11th, I was finding that there is some base foundational knowledge that is missing. And so long story short, started to create this civics masterclass in partnership with um, fellow board member, friend, and you know collaborator, Adrian Gonzalez, who is the chair of the Ethics Commission. And so together we started like crafting what are the basic principles? What do people need to know? And so our first one was just like, you know, how does the city of San Jose work? So governance 101. The second one we did um, parliamentary procedures. 
And so that's like Robert's Rules of Order, Rosenberg's Rules of Order, which is the one that City of San Jose uses. Next class, we're going to talk about city records. So we're going to teach people how to use all the tools, how to look up ordinance and legislation. And then um, we're going to do advocacy and toying around maybe with speech and debate. But I have some problems with the process of speech and debate. Um, But I I think that... So far, I have attended uh, both of the classes that you've put on, and um, these are happening every Thursday until mid-June, right? Mm-hmm. So people can sign up for these classes still. They're entirely free, mm-hmm. and it has been such an education for me, um, a beautiful review of all of these things that are there that I'm like, you know, low-key ashamed to say that I don't remember from high school. But now... It wasn't taught in high school. Don't be ashamed. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you. you. Um, But, yeah, it has started to give me a little bit more reassurance and and thoughtfulness in terms of, oh, well, this isn't that difficult. Like, I can understand this now that I have uncoded these specific terms. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know that for myself, I'll be attending all of them. And I encourage everyone who's listening to check it out, even if you're not from San Jose. Yeah. We, we had some national participants yeah. um, in the last one, someone from Chicago. I know that there was someone in my breakout room from L.A. as well. Um, so I think it's it's such a resource that you're, you're doing to mm-hmm. allow people to kind of come where they're at and not feel that they need to be intimidated to do these things. Yeah, no, this is 101. And also... It's very specific to the city of San Jose right now because, you know, uh, think globally, act locally. And um, but it can be applied to almost any public body. And so it can be applied to your city. So your city or town, um, town might be a little bit different, but most cities will have some type of bylaws or um, charter. And most U.S. cities follow the parliamentary procedures, certain iterations of it. And, you know, the legislative lookup might be a little bit different tools-wise, but not just on a city government level, but like school board trustees and like, you know, students and youth who are fighting for more inclusive education. This is a process that you need to know if you want to affect change in your curriculum or, you know, other services as students on a college level too. And so there's county, there's city, there's school bodies, your university, if you want to know why tuition is so expensive and adjunct professors are not paid crap, you know, this is, this is <laughs> where you go. <laughs> As I was in college um, on my arts interclub council board, mm-hmm. so we talked about Robert's roles and um, how all of those things work. So it was a little bit of a refresher for me, but... It was, yeah, so interesting because so many different platforms and spaces utilize those rules as a way to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, not that those really are necessarily old. the best. Yeah, it's just the only one that's laying around. But yeah, it's it's the one that has been agreed to for now. So it's for it's, now. It's good to know how to work within those structures and confines, and uh, yeah, when you might call for something else or uh, yeah the youth we're counting <laughs> on you to redo this and you know what we were we're waiting for are people's rules of order yes um and also on the rules of order it's no there's no national law that 
says that we have to do it this way. It's just that this is the only thing that exists. And so um, we all use it. And each city adopts different variations of it, but it's like pretty much the same. But a lot has changed. Population has grown bigger. You know, public comment has grown longer, especially nowadays. And um, definitely a lot of room for some innovation in there. As as you mentioned that, one of the things that it it reminded me is that part of this podcast (laughs) is that we are going to be really wanting and encouraging our listeners, our audience to also participate um, and connect like what is going on within the city and particularly for the artists, like how can we as artists um, utilize these messages and ideas that are coming out from the city meetings and create something to enact something greater. And so for the, the podcast, we're going to be having different calls each episode. Um, as this is our inaugural yeah. episode, mm-hmm. um, we're not going to have a call this particular uh, episode and release, but we will have one for the next one, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um But I I do want to take a moment and talk more about that. That is like what we're going to be doing within this podcast. So let's talk about the impact of art. Like why does art matter when it comes to these political ideologies? And what what are your thoughts on that of why should creatives care? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, I think arts are going to save us all. Artists are going to save us all. And... We need artists because artists have, you know, that special eye and, um, you know, specific empathy and an emotional understanding of these complex concepts. And then they can, like, translate it into something beautiful and relatable or, like, gut-wrenching, but, you know, nonetheless. And... The same way that we depend on movies and books to inspire and, you know, galvanize change, that's on a global level. That's on, like, a national level. That can be really overwhelming. And, you know, to any artist that says, I want to be a national artist, that's, like, really overwhelming. And also, that's a very – it's like you have to be known around the world, which is not – Yeah, it's it's like – not just for art, but I think for any industry. Yeah, you know, the CEO, the we, founder. Yeah, we have this already, like, preconceived notion of, oh, well, I need to be the best. Yeah, success is Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, you know, being world-renowned, being that one of whatever. And this is a, a phrase that you so beautifully introduced to me, like, this scarcity mindset. And... Um, that has definitely been incorporated within the arts too, where it's like, oh, there is only room for one. Yeah. Especially if you are like the token, whatever <laughs> your token might be, like, oh, there's only room for one. Mm-hmm. But as we know, that's bullshit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's 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 not that there is just this one. It is that there can be so many, and mm-hmm. there is room for everybody, and so like. Well, art that is specific to your community 
can most likely make the largest difference there. That doesn't mean that it's excluded and doesn't make sense in other communities as well, or as we're speaking San Jose versus like other cities, Mm -hmm. that relationship is still there. Like the issues are happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, artists, artistry, art on a local level can have tremendous impact And it's also, you know, a great testing ground for local impact, because if you're focusing on the whole world, you literally can't make an impact. But if you're focusing on one very specific place, uh, one specific neighborhood, one specific topic, you know, that is how you create impact. And um, right now, I think local government and like the civic participation process needs a lot of help in making it more accessible. And art creates that accessibility. And um, so I feel like if we had more artists creating content like on the Arts Commission or uh, what happened in the Historic Landmarks Commission, you know, kind of put the spotlight on our community and make it like, you know, small town famous. Um, But also not that small. San Jose has over a million people. I know, but it feels so (laughs) small feels really small sometimes (laughs) and um yeah I think that and also I feel like artists are only called to local governance when it has something to do with art which I think is a disservice because I think artists are we're normal people with everyday problems just like everybody else and everyday (laughs) problems are you know rooted in how cities are designed how legislative decisions are made and so approach it from that perspective and if you can help shed light on what's happening at the flea market which I think some artists are doing if you can help shed light on the youth commission's you know bill of rights that's a big deal if you can help shed light on, you know, our seniors commission and like, you know, capturing some elderly wisdom, because I feel like there's a big disconnect between our elders present day and our youth. And, you know, there's so much content there. And we already consume that content on a national and global level. And the producers of those national global stories are not highly representative of all the diversity that exists. And so if we had more local artists creating local content that is hyper-specific, I think we can begin to create that more diverse representation. And I see artists really being able to lead the charge on that process, but they've been relegated to you know a certain section and they haven't been invited to participate and they haven't been given the tools and like, I was like really dismayed to hear that a lot of artists don't even take like not don't take but are not offered marketing storytelling budgeting and um if you're not given the tools for success you can't just blame the i, I really I disagree with like the starving artists <laughs> concept that's just that's the way it was designed but it doesn't have to be that way yeah and so I think that as you're talking about the arts, the arts are such a, are such a powerful tool for change. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a, a, a whole episode that we'll get into, which is uh, arts activism. But yes, artists have this power to interpret and apply symbolism and apply 
a, a different kind of perspective than mm-hmm. maybe the people who are working within the public space. Yeah. Um, because no matter what that artist is interested, whether that's climate, whether mm-hmm. that is housing, whether that is equity or identity or um, whatever technology, what whatever kinds of interests they have, mm-hmm. there is some kind of relating group yeah <laughs> commission mm-hmm. um, potentially that is working within those subjects in some way yeah so I think it's fascinating to be able to say like hey artists like how do you interpret what's going on within this section mm-hmm. um, how do you relate to it personally or do you know someone who can relate to it personally and like because there's a story that I, I read last summer the overstory and there is a line in there that says, you know, facts and figures don't change people's mind is a good story. <laughs> and, um, you know, artists are storytellers, multimedia storytellers. And um, we need these talented, skillful storytellers. And I think especially for artists who are living in San Jose, you have a unique perspective that someone outside of San Jose won't be able to offer. And it's also like, you know, to other artists in other cities, like to each is your own. Like you Mm -hmm. hold a special power of perspective and lived experiences and it's completely valid to to apply that. Identify it, don't generalize it Mm -hmm. uh, for all or anything like that. But um, artists have, have led many movements and it uh, seems only fitting that they should be leading, you know, the, the civic participation revolution. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, that's what we hope that with this podcast, we can get some more participation and um, start to bridge that pathway that I myself personally felt, too, of like, I'm an artist. What do I know about what's going on? Um, but hopefully episodes of this podcast and me <laughs> attending your master class um, will be able to relay some of that information and say like no this is how we do it and this is how we make change and I know that um, I'm excited to be able to work in that avenue and uh, hopefully see some like beautiful progress within that area yeah and i know that when when people participate for the first time in a city council meeting it can be very boring (laughs) (laughs) very boring and to that i say it's only boring because we don't have any artists in the room (laughs) yes because you know we we uh participate on a national level through voting and commentary and opinions, which is commentary. So there's a lot of national coverage. You know, we have the Daily Show, we have John Oliver, we have the Amber Ruffin Show, we have all of these different artistic takes on you know the presidency and what's happening with COVID. And if we can just take those same tools and resources, but apply it to like the city of San Jose or the city of Los Angeles or whatever, it can be equally, if not, I guarantee you, way more interesting. <laughs> And we just need we need that artistic lens and flair to make it more colorful and enjoyable. <laughs> and that leads me to um, this activity that we kind of brainstormed and came up with together, um, which will be the artist meet and make. 
Oh, yes. So on June 14th, mark your calendars, Mm -hmm. um, we are going to be having an artist event. So this is going to be for any kind of creatives. You don't have to be a professional, whatever that means. If you like to doodle on your napkins, come join us. Oh, I know a professional napkin doodler. If you like (laughs) to make some things out of, you know, clay or play-doh or whatever it is that your your kids legos whatever it might be mm-hmm. interpretive uh, dance all mediums welcome um we are going to be hosting an event which will coincide with the um san jose charter review commission charter review commission meeting thank you yes. um, it's a big deal meeting too june 14th we need people to show up man and, and women and non-binary Man, woman, non-binary, everybody. We're we're calling you in and saying, hey, come be a creative with us. We are going to be streaming the meeting. And while that's happening, we're going to be, as creative thinkers, watching, interpreting, and making some kind of art from that. Um, So whatever each individual is inspired to do, they'll make, they'll doodle, they'll draw. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start to essentially, like, create this artwork that is based off of what's happening in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, so June 14th is the date for that. It is going to be happening at the School of Visual Philosophy in San Jose, California. And um, we'll be posting more information on specific details about that on the social media. So you can find it there. But June 14th is our date, 6 to 9 p.m. And um, this will be our first introductory meeting of getting artists a little bit more engaged with what's happening in San Jose and seeing where it goes from there. I'm doing, I will be doing a OSJ Live and it's pretty much a Twitch stream. And we'll have some commentators. And so we'll be explaining on top of the Charter Review Commission. Um, and so hopefully we'll make it a little bit fun and interesting. And anybody can participate. You can call in to the Zoom. Um, we'll share that in the links. And, and you can make your public comment. I would love for like a spoken word poet to just come and tell us what it's about. And, you know, why uh, language translation services are so important. Come and speak in your native language. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Not against the rules. Totally welcome. <laughs> yeah. Welcoming all perspectives so that we have a multi-dimensional experience of life. It shouldn't be just, it's like, you know, um, viewing life only in one colored lens when you could be seeing the entire rainbow. Um, speaking of rainbows, I feel like we need to have a shout out for a queer trans community to, you know, come and participate. And, you know, I would love to see, you know, queer youth, trans folks, youth or not youth, to apply for these commission seats because we need that representation. And, you know, the people most qualified to lead the legislative ordinance and policies on that subject matter is you. You cannot trust another person, not because of any malicious intent, can't speak for that, but because without that lived experience, it's like me trying to plan, I don't know, like a vegan celiac menu and I have no experience (laughs) and no know-how of, you know, how to do that. So we need those lived experiences to come and help shape the policies and changes that you want to see. Absolutely. We don't need Rachel Ray's Pozole up in here. We, we need some authentic. Um, 
and yeah, like re- representation, as we know, is the first step. Mm-hmm. But it's such an important step. So for our our queer fam, for our BIPOC fam, for our um, neuroatypical fam. Neurodivergent. I learned that recently. I'm really into that. Neurodivergent. Thank you. <laughs> um, everybody, like, if you don't see yourself, go be yourself, you yeah. know, like go up there. That is what this podcast is for. Like mm-hmm. I didn't see myself in those spaces. I didn't have those resources. And so now I'm trying to make those for our next gen. Right. We're, yeah. we're trying to continually always help to make this place better when better than when we got here. Mm-hmm. And you might be very surprised to find out that you're not the only one mm-hmm. who are, you know, going through these challenges or experiences. And, you know, that's how we build community by identifying different ways of relating and sharing our experience. So I want to thank you so much for sitting down and telling us about your journey and telling us about how you came to start OSJ and create the ma- the civics masterclasses. Um I'm curious, is there, what kind of advice do you have for other creatives out there or maybe for, you know, baby Alina? (laughs) Oh, baby Alina. (laughs) Um, For other creatives is start with something small and um, you can start by attending an artist's, uh, artist's commission meeting. Um, I will put in some deets in the episode description where you can find that information. If you're not from San Jose, see if there's an arts commission in your city. If not, you know, you can petition your city council members um, or supervisors to create one. The process of creating a commission, especially in San Jose, is actually pretty easy. You just kind of have to uh, talk to a council member, one or two or three in San Jose, it has to be a six majority vote. But, you know, put together, you can put together a very simple plan. Like, the name of this commission is X. Our purpose is X. The reason why we need it is X. And then, like, you know, you can attach some resources and articles if you want to. And it's really as easy as that. I would say start at a commission meeting or a neighborhood association meeting. So start small. And then... Um, Go from there and reach out to, if you have questions about the process, every city, I believe, has a city clerk. And the city clerk is kind of like a city librarian on process and documents. And so they are the people that you can go to to ask specific questions, and they'll point you in the right direction. I love city clerks. That's a good cheat code, city clerk. Yeah, city clerk. And uh, for baby Alina... Uh, unfortunately, girl, I'm sorry. No one's going to understand you better than you understand yourself. So <laughs> the sooner you just focus on understanding yourself, what you want to do and like how you want to express and work on your ideas, it's going to be so much easier than waiting for someone to validate and understand exactly what you want to do and, you know, give you all the resources. Focus on understanding exactly what you desire and what you want. And uh, you can go from there. It's pretty easy from there. <laughs> but I had to wait a long time to to come to that realization. 
the hardest part is always trusting your your own intuition, right? Well, it is because you have like mainstream media constantly gaslighting you because nothing that I come up with and nothing that I was interested in, it wasn't in, you know, that book that you look at when you're like 17 or 16 and like pick your discipline. It wasn't in this book. <laughs> um, it wasn't on TV. It wasn't in any of the books that I read. It didn't exist. And... Um, that was really hard because I kept trying to fit into this box that I didn't belong in. And then I started just building my own environment that's not box-like because I don't like boxes. <laughs> Open air, baby. Open air. <laughs> plein air. Out in the real life. Um, and I've become much happier pursuing um, the things that I'm very passionate about. And lucky for me... You know, it has to do with community service. And so I can feel good about that, too. Not that if you're not serving community, you're doing something bad. We need, you know, all modes of self-expression and um, perspectives out there. And, you know, Beyonce was a big uh, influencer of self-expression. And also just what happens when you take full control of your own storytelling. You know, she stopped working and following the you can follow her career and you can see how she changed over time and um, the more she owned her narrative and exactly the way she wanted to tell her story and exactly the way she wants to capture herself her work just became more and more I don't even have the words for it but it's quite beautiful yeah and I think that that is exactly what happens when we allow artists to control what it is they say and not have to be filtered mm-hmm. through other lenses and gazes um, for the case of Beyonce, like <laughs> mainstream media channels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really being able to say, well, this is my way that I want to say this about this topic. And mm-hmm. that's what we invite you all to do on June 14th to be coming to our artist meet and make and say, this is exactly the way I feel about this council meeting that's happening yeah. or this topic that they're addressing. And as Alina mentioned, it should be a, a juicy meeting. <laughs> we'll yes. be following along and getting some insight from OSJ Live. Uh, so that way we've got some interpreters for our artists. Yes. Well, what can our audience be on the lookout for? What kind of upcoming things do we do you have coming up? So we are hardcore on the Civics Masterclass. I might put in some surprise classes in there. And then, you know, my, my goal with the Civics Masterclass is to help people begin the process of learning how to craft some policy legislation and suggestions or ideas in a format that is um, easily usable by the commission and city staff. And so we have a template that we're working on. And, you know, we're teaching them uh, how to research and how to like pull case studies and things like that. And so it's like you're kind of like learning how to write a thesis paper. and um, But more interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> you're going to submit it to the commission. They may or may not accept. And if they do, like that's a big deal. Like you just wrote something into, uh, you know, our city constitution. Oh, well, it still has to be voted by the people. So there's a process in within the process. So many processes. But... <laughs> You know, it's an opportunity, especially for youth. It's a great thing to put on your college resume if you are all still into that. (laughs) Um, That 
hey, I participated in the you know San Jose Constitutional Convention. I made an amendment on the city charter. And um, it's supposed to be a fun process. And it's open to all San Jose residents. And we're unfortunately at this time, because we're all volunteer driven, we don't have it in multilingual uh, translation, though the city charter review commission itself with the city were unaffiliated with the city this program is unaffiliated with the city but the city does offer translation services for the actual commission meetings and so that will be provided and um we're hoping to be able to partner with other uh bipoc community organizations that will um hopefully we can get this this content translated into other languages and recorded and saved and accessible but the goal is to have people submit their ideas and, you know, speak at public comment and hopefully have some of these ideas, you know, taken into consideration by council. And you said that that class happens every Thursday, right? Yes. Um, We might have some off days depending on the availability of our instructors. But right now it's Thursdays starting at 6 p.m. and it goes to around 730 All right. And where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more about Only in San Jose and all of the projects you're working on? So you can go to our website, which is onlyinsj.org. And our Twitter and Instagram is the same name, at onlyinsj. And our Twitch is twitch.tv slash onlyinsj. So everything is is under that handle. And the email is also only in sj at gmail.com. So feel free to look at the branding. I know, right? I really, really thought hard about that. <laughs> and like, I really like, you know, it's like if you shorten it even more, it's like OSJ. So you can be like, OSJ or like, OSJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, those tone and inclinations are going to be brought and uh, said by our listeners. So we'll see what happens at our June 14th artist meet and make and what kind of uh, OSJs will be said at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for being our first guest here on episode one, season one, Art in Motion, taking aim at only in San Jose. Like I mentioned in the beginning, I wouldn't have started this at this time if it wasn't for you. So I'm so thankful that you're able to join us as our first guest. Thank you so much to our listeners for joining in on our very first episode. If you would like to reach out to me, feel free to email me at artinmotionpodcast at gmail.com or reach me on Instagram at artinmotionpodcast. There you'll be able to stay up to date with the latest news and happenings. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye, y'all.